Chapter 15 of Esther Reed Yet Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed Yet Speaking by Pansy. Chapter 15 What Made Her Different? I have heard a good deal about your sister that has interested me. Do you like to talk of her? This was the question which Gracie Dennis asked of young Reed as he stood beside her at the piano. She had been playing, and had come to the music alcove for the purpose of turning her music, but now she was touching sweet chords here and there aimlessly, and waiting for his answer. At the further end of the parlor, Mrs. Roberts was entertaining a caller, but the distance between them was so great that, in effect, the young people were alone. "'I like nothing better than to talk of her,' Mr. Reed said, with animation, "'but I don't know so much about her as I wish I did.' She went away when I was quite young. I used to say she died, but since I have awakened to see her cherished plans being carried on all around me, I cannot think of her as dead. That is what I want to talk to you about, her work or her plans for work. What made her so different from other people, Mr. Reed? Wasn't she different? The young man regarded the question thoughtfully before answering. Not from all the people, he said at last, but certainly very different from some. I used to think that all Christians were like her, of course. Then, when I saw my mistake, I went to the other extreme, and thought there were none like her on earth. I have discovered that the medium position is the correct one. But what I want to know is, what made her different? It wasn't her age. Mrs. Roberts thinks she was young? She was hardly nineteen when she died. Oh, no, it wasn't age. She told me that she used to be very different. She was a Christian from childhood, but she said that she was ashamed to claim the name. There was nothing Christ-like about her. Still, she was a member of the church. As I remember her, and as I look at other people, my judgment is that, in her early Christian life, she was much like most of the Christians with whom you and I are familiar. And what made her different? Was it, that is, do you think it was because she was to die so soon that she had a special experience? Not at all, he said promptly. It was before she realized anything about her condition that the great change took place in her. My brother-in-law says that she supposed herself to be in perfect health at the time when she was most marked in her Christian life. Ah, but you don't understand. I mean more than that. It is difficult to tell what I mean. I mean, but you know, of course, God knew that she was soon to go to heaven. I thought, perhaps, he gave her a special experience on that account. No, oh no, he said, speaking with great earnestness. Esther was particularly anxious that no one should suppose her experience exceptional. Little fellow though I was, it seemed to be her desire that I should fully understand this. Don't let anybody think that because you are a little boy you must be a sort of halfway Christian, she used to say, and her eyes would glow with feeling. I tried that way for years, she said, and I want you to understand that it is not only sinful, but there is not a particle of happiness to be gotten out of it, not a particle, and I would give almost nothing for what such a Christian can accomplish. The harm one does more than overbalances all effort for Christ." I think perhaps she felt more deeply on that than on almost any subject, and it was because she thought she had wasted so many years. Then do you think that there is, or rather that there should be, no difference in Christians? Have all the same work to do? 
Not that quite, of course. Or, I don't know either. Isn't it all different forms of the master's work? The children of the home may have each a different task, but each is needed to make the home what it should be, and each worker needs the same spirit of love and unselfishness to enable him to do his part. It isn't a perfect illustration, Miss Dennis. I am not skillful in that direction. But I know what I mean, and that is a comfort. And I know what you mean, Gracie said, not joining in his laugh, but I am not sure that I believe it. Why, Mr. Reed, that would make a very solemn thing of living. Well, did you suppose it was other than solemn? I am sure it makes a triumphant thing of it, too. And without it we are only a lot of wax figures, dancing to pass the time away. But don't you really think that people have a right to have any nice times? Miss Dennis, did you ever see a person who had nicer times than your friend, Mrs. Roberts? Well, Flossie is peculiar. Her tastes all seem to lie in this direction, though once they did not, I admit. Papa used to think that she had no talent for anything but dancing. Something changed Flossie's entire character. No one who knew her two years ago could possibly deny that. She will serve as an illustration, then, to explain my meaning. I believe, Miss Dennis, that religion should have sufficient power over us to change all our tastes and plans in life, fitting them to the Savior's use. But what should such a rule as that do with most of the Christians of your acquaintance? Ah, I am old and experienced enough to warn you not to make shipwreck of your happiness on that shoal. I hovered around it and vexed my soul over the whole bewildering question until I suddenly discovered that I was held absolutely responsible only for my own soul, and that the Lord would look after his own. For a time there was no answer to this. Gracie let her fingers wander with apparent aimlessness over the keys, drying out soft, sweet strains. Suddenly she said, What do you expect Flossie will accomplish with that last scheme of hers? I ought to beg her pardon for the familiar name, but I have known her ever since I was a child. Don't you think her attempts for those boys rather hopeless? Instantly the young man's eyes filled with tears, and when he spoke his voice indicated deep emotion. I can hardly tell you how I feel about those boys. I have been anxious for them so long and felt so hopeless. Do you remember how Elijah sat under a juniper tree, discouraged, and said that he was the only one who had not bowed the knee to Baal, and the Lord told him he was mistaken, that there were five thousand others? It sounds ridiculously egotistical, but I have felt at times something like that, as though I was the only one who cared whether the poor fellows went to destruction or not. But since I have met Mrs. Roberts, and seen how intense she is and single-hearted, and since through her I have met Dr. Everett, and seen how they are trying to work at the same problem, and since I have come to know how Mr. Roberts is at work all the time for young men, and above all, since that wonderful evening here last Monday, when I saw how two gifted ladies understood the art of turning their accomplishments to account in order to take those poor fellows captive for Christ, I discovered that there were ways of solving this problem about which I had known nothing, and people to carry it through. It was simply glorious in you to give those fellows such music as you did, and to accomplish by it what you did. My life has been narrow, Miss Dennis. I never saw the piano used for Christ before. Gracie looked down at the keys, her face aglow. It was a new experience, this being classed among the Christian workers of the world, 
making her music for other purposes than to amuse the gay friends who chanced to gather around her. She made the keys speak loudly for a few minutes, then softening them said, You must not class me with Flossie, Mr. Reed. I only did what she wanted done. I am not in the least like her, unselfish and gentle and all that. But his reply, spoken low, was pleasant to her ears. By their fruits ye shall know them. He evidently looked upon her as a worker. She could not help feeling that it was pleasant to be so classed. What an intense young man he was, not in the least like those with whom she had hitherto been most familiar. There was another voice in the front parlor, a strong, vigorous voice that carried a sense of power with it. Ah, said Reed, his eyes bright, his face eager, that is Dr. Everett. Just study him if you want another type of the sort of Christian about whom we have been talking, the grandest man. Gracie, shielded by the distance, turned on her stool and studied him. Certainly he did not look much as though he were appointed for early death. What a splendid physique it was! And how thoroughly wide awake and interested he was in the subject under discussion. Bits of the talk floated back to the two at the piano. Oh, he is young, Dr. Everett was saying. I hope for returned vigor in time. But there must be long weeks of patience before he will be ready for his old employment. Do you know of whom he is speaking? Gracie asked. I fancy it is that Calkins boy, the one with the broken limb. He is deeply interested in the poor fellow, and is trying to plan employment of some less wearing sort for him, I believe. Dr. Everett is always intensely interested in somebody. Is it always the very poor? Alfred laughed. Not always. I know several quite well-to-do fellows in whom he keeps a careful oversight. But he is grandly interested in the poor. He is taking rank as one of the most successful physicians in the city, and, of course, he is pressed for time yet he is so continually at the call of the poor that people begin to speak of him as the poor man's doctor. He told me he was proud of that title. At this point the musicians were appealed to to come to the front parlor, and Gracie had opportunity for a nearer study of the man whom she could not help but admire. He was not likely to suffer from a nearer view, at least not while Gracie was in the mood that then possessed her. He greeted her cordially, and at once brought her into the conversation by appealing to her for a decision, seeming to take it for granted that she was of the same spirit with himself. This young lady was taking lessons of life that were designed to be helpful to her if she would but let them. A thoroughly well-educated and cultured gentleman, well fitted to take high rank in society, not in the ministry, and yet thoroughly absorbed in what she had hitherto almost unconsciously set down as minister's work, was a mystery to her. Moreover, for the second time that evening, she felt a curious sense of satisfaction in being classed among the energetic workers of the world. The pretty schoolgirl, who had lived all her young life in a neighborhood where she was Gracie Dennis, looked up to, indeed, by her set, and having a decided influence of her own, yet felt it to be a novel experience to hear herself addressed in a clear, firm voice after this manner. Miss Dennis, what means would you advise for interesting a company of young girls in reading, regularly, books which would be of use to them? Of course, I speak of a class of girls who have done no reading of any account heretofore, and who have no knowledge in the matter. 
It is something about which I have not thought at all, said Gracie, her pretty face all in a flush. But I should suppose the way would be to take one girl at a time and study her, to find out what would be likely to interest and help her, and also to get such an influence over her that she would read what I wanted her to. First catch your hair, eh? Good, said the doctor, with an approving glance toward Mrs. Roberts. The longer I live, the more convinced am I that individual effort is what accomplishes the great things in this world. There was more talk about this and kindred matters, and Gracie found herself drawn out, and her interest excited on themes about which she had supposed she knew nothing. Then occurred an interruption, a ringing of the doorbell. For Miss Dennis, said the messenger, but she handed the card to Mrs. Roberts. There was just a moment of hesitation, while that lady apparently studied the name, then she said composedly, This is Professor Ellis, Gracie. Do you wish to receive him this evening? Since I have known Mrs. Roberts well, I have studied her innocently sincere manner, with not a little curiosity as to the probable effect on the world, suppose it were possible for others to adopt her method. The actual practical effect with her is that she succeeds often in wisely deceiving, while intending to be perfectly sincere. For instance, her question to Gracie after a moment of hesitation, during which she asked herself, What ought I to do? and immediately answered herself, There is nothing for me to do but to be perfectly straightforward. Her question was intended to say to Gracie, I trust you. What your father has directed you to do, I feel sure you will obey. But it said different things from that to Gracie. Ever since she had been told that she might make her old acquaintance Flossie a visit, this highly strung young lady had been suspicious that this was a device of her stepmother to get pleasantly rid of her for a few weeks. She surmised that a very carefully elaborate account of her sins had been written out by this same stepmother for the benefit of her young hostess, and that special directions had been given for guarding her from the wolf, Professor Ellis. She would have spoiled the entire scheme by haughtily refusing to leave home, had not the innocent delight of a young girl over the thought of visiting a beautiful strange city gotten the better of her pride. The gently put question of her hostess disarmed a whole nest of suspicions. It was hardly possible that it had been hinted to Flossie that her guest might attempt to elope with this man, else she would not with serene face be asking whether it was her wish to receive him. If you please, she made haste to answer, her cheeks glowing the while, and Mrs. Roberts gave instant direction that the gentleman be shown to the parlor. There were several new lessons set for Miss Gracie Dennis to learn that evening. One was that Professor Ellis, with his faultless dress and excessive politeness, his finished bows and smiles, that would have done credit to any ballroom in the land, his accurate knowledge of all the printed rules of etiquette, yet in Mrs. Roberts' parlor contrasted with Dr. Everett, and even with young Reed, the dry goods clerk, appeared at a disadvantage. She was slow in learning the lesson. On that first evening she simply stared at it in bewilderment. What did it mean? There was an attempt to draw the professor into the circle, to continue the conversation that had been so animated and interesting before his entrance. The effect was much like that produced in striking a discordant note in a hitherto faultless piece of music. Young men out of business needing help, needing an encouraging word, an outstretched hand. Professor Ellis had words and hands, 
but he might have been without either for all the help they gave him in responding to efforts like these. Books to help uplift the young, to give them high ideas of life, to enthuse them with desires to live for a purpose. Truly he could only stare blankly at the suggestion. What did he know of books written for such purposes? Yet Gracie had supposed him to be literary in his tastes and pursuits. Certainly he read French? Yes, French novels. He was quite familiar with some of such a character that, had Gracie been a good French scholar and ever likely to come in contact with a copy of them, he would not have dared to mention their names in her presence. More than once of late had the stepmother wished that her young daughter understood the language well enough to be aware that the man whom she admired used frequently smooth-sounding French oaths. But alas for Gracie, when he had so poisoned her mother's influence over this dangerously pretty girl, that she would have believed his word at any time rather than that mother's. Well, he read other than French novels, Charles Reed, for instance, and some of the more recent authors fashionable in certain circles. It is true that Gracie was not acquainted with them, that her father would not allow a copy of their books to come freely into his home, and Gracie was much too honorable to read them in private. But it was also true that while professing to admire this trait in her, as charming in a young daughter, the professor had also, pityingly and gently, told this young daughter that these things were her father's concessions to the narrow age and trammeled profession to which he belonged, that the fact was, free thought was discouraged, because there was that in every church which would not bear its light, that her wise father was one of a hundred in recognizing this, and trying to shield her while she was young. You are also to remember that she was young, and therefore forgive her that she did not detect the contradictory sophistry in the professor's words. He really understood how to sugarcoat poison as well as any man of his stamp could. End of chapter 15 Recording by Tricia G.